Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. Hey church, Pastor Trent here on July 19th, giving you an encouragement from God's word um, that will continue in our series on the armor of God. And uh, this morning, I'm really excited to speak to you about the shield of faith. Let me read to you about this piece of God's armor in its full context. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I've been reading in my own personal devotions, the book of Joshua. Somehow it's coincided with me studying these armor pieces and the battle of God's people taking the land of Canaan. And one of the things that I've been reflecting on Joshua's life and leadership is how much he trusted the Lord, how much he listened to the Lord, how much God had promised him that none would stand before him all the days of his life. But instead, because the battle was the Lord's, Joshua could stand, leading his people to victory and to new territory. And my hope and prayer has been for us as a church, for me as a leader, even for our society broadly, that new territory would be coming. That a greater realization of God's redemptive purposes and an advancement of the kingdom of God in our time and in our generation would be what we experience in the coming years because we have put on the armor of God and begun the spiritual battle, standing firm amidst all of the pressures around us. Today, we actually have the last of the calls of commitment to stand firm. There are four calls to commitment in these first verses. None of these are verbs, but they're participles of the verb stand meaning they describe how we are to stand and what is needed for us to stand. In order for us to stand, we need truth, we need righteousness, we need peace, and we need faith. And Paul grabs these incredible metaphors of armor to help us grab them. He says that we need the belt of truth. He says that we need the breastplate of righteousness. He says that we need shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace and, of course, the shield of faith. 
And so let's talk about the shield of faith. And I understand that as we consider the idea of faith, faith means different things to many different people. And even the word itself has sort of a flimsy appearance in our present day and culture. So I wonder in our broken and battling world, what good is faith to us? Why would Paul include it in here? Of course, we're Christians, and so we believe in the faith in the Lord Jesus. But what good is faith in the midst of this broken and battling world in which we find ourselves? Paul's answer is clear. Faith protects you and those around you. Faith protects you and those around you. Let's read about it. This is verse 16 in Ephesians chapter 6. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Interesting, this is one of the longest phrases. It's not a sentence, but a phrase or section in this paragraph communicating, I think, the importance of faith in the spiritual battle. And so what I'd like to do is take phrase by phrase this long um, concept. In all circumstances, let's start there. Take up the shield of faith. All here, of course, is a, a theme that weaves throughout the letter. Paul has used this word close to 40 times, and it connects to the phrases of all every, everything, completion. It gets at his central theme of Christ bringing together, summing up. They're not being disparate portions of life, but that there is one life lived by faith in Christ and that there is nothing that that faith does not touch or include. It gets at connection, all-encompassing. We have this tendency to split our lives, the different segments in society or in our own personal life where there are things that are spiritual and there are things that are normal. And from the beginning of this church plant, I've pressed that that can't be the case for those who want to follow Jesus, the kind of followers of Jesus that we're about making and forming in Christ toward maturity are those who are alive to the presence and power of Jesus in every area of life. That's why I chose the name Emmanuel, God with us, in every sector of society, in every portion and part of life. This is my inheritance from the church that I grew up spiritually, which is named Coram Deo, a Latin phrase meaning before the face of God, that all of life is lived before God and there is nothing that is unspiritual, but we are to live as spiritual people in all circumstances. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith. Paul here is sitting in prison as he writes this, probably surrounded by Roman soldiers. And if he wasn't surrounded at the moment, he had seen plenty of them as he was carried into that kind of captive situation. And you know what they wore? When they were ready for battle, they had a shield. They had a shield. And the shield was an incredible asset to their battle strategy. The shield was sizable, probably two and a half feet wide and close to four feet tall. It was made of 
planks of wood and then covered in metal. And then often it was dipped in water, sometimes continuously dipped in water because as the enemy would, would shoot arrows in attack, especially arrows that were set ablaze with flame, the water would then douse the flames. And if it didn't, there was risk that the wood of the shield could catch on fire and then be useless. These shields protected the warriors in a panic. It protected the warriors in many situations and especially preventing panic. When soldiers stood together, they not only provided cover for the individual, but they provided cover for the group as they could lock shields together, covering different angles at which arrows would come. So the shields had protective power for them as individual soldiers, but also for the community, the, the very army that was battling. And furthermore, they weren't just defensive. They had offensive potential as well because a group of soldiers could lock their shields together, maybe protruding their spear, javelin, or sword out of in front of the shield and then rush their way through the enemy front line. The picture here that Paul is getting at with all of this warfare is a very intimate battle, an up-close kind of wrestle of hand-to-hand combat. That is what spiritual battle feels like. So in our broken and battling world, what good is faith to you? Well, it protects you and it protects those around you. The shield of faith. We could think of something perhaps stronger than faith, at least in our modern interpretation of things, that could be a shield. But here Paul chooses faith. Why? Well, because faith actually is far more than a feeling. The way in which our modern mindset approaches something like faith is that it's flimsy, which is an odd thing because opinions, which are prevalent throughout our society, especially right now, are the things that are flimsy. They tend to flop from one moment to the other. We present them forcibly. But faith, rather, is not an opinion. It is a persuasion. Faith is something that has taken the opinions and the perspectives and it has become persuaded about something that it is true. And so in the words of Sugal, in his classic work, The Life of God in the Soul of Man, faith is a feeling persuasion. It's a kind of whole being trust in God in which the mind is convinced, the emotions are active, the will is engaged, and the body commits. Everything about us is committed, which of course is the theme of these first four attributes of the armor of God, that we would be committed to take a stand. What, gets, what faith gets at is not self-reliance, but a confidence in God, a dependence upon God, that he is the Lord of the battle. Let me read to you a little bit more of Skugal's wording. He says, faith has the place in divine life, which sense has in the natural life, being indeed that it is nothing more than a kind of sense, a feeling persuasion of spiritual things that extends to all divine truths, 
but of course, it has a particular focus, a principal object of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. Faith is like a sense. And our senses are the way in which we make, um, we, we order the world and perceive things, judging are they true. If I sense by smell that we are making an apple pie in the oven, perhaps it's an apple pie, but perhaps it's a candle. But if I smell it and then I also see that the oven is on and I also see the peelings of the apples on the counter, I can become persuaded, even though I haven't seen the pie in the oven, that there is indeed an apple pie baking there. And the truth of the matter is that I'm going to get to eat it with ice cream when it cools. Sense is a good way of thinking about faith. Do you have a sense, a feeling persuasion that Jesus is true, that he is king and he does reign and he has won the victory? If you do, you will be able to hold up the shield of faith and extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. If a shield was caught on fire, it had to be thrown away. And so the practice, of course, with God's people, as, or, or with the practice, of course, for God's people is to continually be dipping our shield in water, <laughs> which if you sort of piggyback on earlier metaphors in Ephesians, you'd say we are to wash, be washed with the water of the word. So if we're to keep our shield of faith wet, we're going to have to what? cover it with the water of the word and thereby continue to keep our shield of faith ready to meet the extinct, meet the fiery darts of the evil one. Here's the deal. When it comes to the darts, the attacks of the enemy, many times they are specific towards you. Believe it or not, your enemy perhaps knows you better than you. The enemy of God and his people has been studying human life and kind for thousands of years. And they, if you are not self-aware, could know you better than you. Which is why I always urge us as a church that self-awareness and awareness of God are the two principal ingredients to growing as a follower of Jesus. If you don't know yourself, then you can't connect the real you to the real God. And so self-awareness and awareness of God, go into this full picture of faith. And I think if you take a moment to reflect and perhaps gain a bit of self-awareness, you might see that if you've been walking in faith over the last several months or perhaps several years, you'll see that if you took your shield off and paused for a moment from the battle, you might turn it around and see plenty of darts anchored into your shield. Think about that for a moment. Have you, have you seen in a pause in the action, the flaming darts of the enemy stuck into your shield of faith? Would you for a moment take a second to pull out a dart from your shield? Like, like, could you pull some arrows out and let it bring about praise? Could you pull an arrow that could have been adultery out of your shield and let it bring about praise? Could you pull an arrow that could have been pornography out of your shield and let it bring about praise? Could you 
pull an arrow that could have been um, anger and violence in your shield and let it bring about praise? Could you pull an arrow of bitterness in your shield that you could bring about praise to God for? Could you pull an arrow of greed and coveting out of your shield and let it bring about praise? Could you pull an arrow of comparison out of your shield and let it bring about praise that the faith that you have in the living God has protected you and others. Church, there's some, she- there's some arrows in your shield. Do you see them? In general, here are a few arrows that the enemy always tries to shoot because he desires to dismantle your faith in the real and living God. The biggest one, of course, that could have been an arrow in, that could be an arrow in your own shield is that you would walk away from God. The constant attempt of the enemy through all of the other means of wickedness and evil and darkness. That you would walk away from the God who is the source of all goodness, light, and truth. The arrow of the enemy, of course, is to rob God in your mind of his personhood and reduce the faith to mere principles. Because if he could reduce the personhood of God in your estimation, then of course you have no creator to relate to, but just a principle to hold to. And if you look at the scriptures, if you see the great men and women of God, they had a way of relating a way of walking, a way of communing with the living God as a person. Nothing more would the enemy want to rob from you than a relationship with your maker that you were designed for. Nothing more would he want to dissuade you that you won't once again walk again as Adam and Eve did in the cool of the garden with the living God. He'll rob you of God as a person and reduce the faith to principles. The enemy will also rob God of his power in your mind and heart so that you begin doubting his promises. This is one of the darts of the enemy to say, yeah, 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 there is a God, but he's powerless for your present moment. He can't bring about the completion of his promises. The other way that the enemy could go about and seek to fire a dart, an arrow into your very heart is to rob God of his own presence so that you start splitting up your life into the spiritual and the normal and the presence of God is sort of separated from all of your existence to only moments of experience. But what we have, of course, in the biblical story is the testimony of Jesus, the gospel itself. You see Jesus in the wilderness pulls up the shield of trust in the Father, extinguishing the darts of the evil one. And Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, similar to I'm sweating right now, but not blood, real blood, sweating holding up trust in the Father and in His plan in the midst of the darts of the enemy that would come His way. You see, the trust of Jesus in the Father is, was such a great shield 
for you and for me that it did not merely protect himself, but in fact, he took the shield of his own trusting relationship with the Father and he gave it up for us. With such great faith in the Father, Jesus handed the shield over so that we could be protected and let it all the darts of the devil fly into his own flesh. But he knew because of his feeling persuasion in the goodness of the Father and in the truth of the scriptures that though the darts of the devil sank into him on the cross, the deliverance of the Father would come upon the third day. And Jesus bears the scars in his hands and in his feet of the darts of the enemy and the testimony that the shield of faith, trusting in the Father, will protect you, even if the battle means death. And the good news for you and for me and for most of us throughout history is the battle has not meant our own death, but it has meant that there is a constant need to pull up the shield of faith so that we might be protected and that others around us could be protected as well. Let me pray that you would do that this week and that you would learn to do that for a lifetime. Jesus, I praise you. I praise you as the victorious one, the one who so trusted the Father's plan that you could give up your shield and take on the fire of the darts, of the devil. You knew that he would not have the last word, but that victory and the battle belonged to the Lord God. Thank you for trusting in the Father such that we could be protected from our own sins and from our own deserved condemnation and that we could be then protected as we navigate the spiritual battles of this life. We worship you now as the one who is our divine warrior and who has equipped us to face the battles that we face as individuals and we face as a church, now and always. In your mighty name we pray, Christ. Amen.